Thanks for tuning in to another episode of the UXR podcast. This week, we're going to be talking to Ashagul Kandemir and Sophia Bourne about the process of interviewing for a junior research position, how to reposition your experience into something that hiring managers might see as really valuable to a research role, and a few other tips and tricks for you to land that first research gig. If you're a junior researcher, this episode is going to be chock full of great tips for you. If you're an intermediate researcher or a hiring manager, I hope that this episode provides some really interesting ways for you to look at candidates who might not seem like they're well-suited for research roles, but who actually have a wealth of experience and knowledge to contribute to your research team. If you haven't already, we'd really appreciate it if you could give us a like or subscribe wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. Okay, let's take a listen to this episode. I'll see you on the other side. Hello, everyone, and I hope you're having a wonderful day. My name is Alec Levin, and I'm the host of the UXR podcast. And today, I'm really excited to be joined by two new friends from Europe to talk about their journeys into research. Uh, our first guest today is Aishagul Kandemir, who is a junior researcher at Vodafone SmartTech. And our second guest is Sophia Bourne, who's a user experience researcher at Onfido. Thanks for joining me. I'd love to start out, and this conversation is going to be really focused on, you know, your background, how you found your passion for research, and really around what that experience was like when you were interviewing and trying to land that first role. So, Sophia, to start with you, can you tell me a bit about what you were doing before research and what kind of piqued your interest in, in the discipline? Yeah, of course. So um, I started my career actually in international affairs. Um, so for undergrad, I studied global studies, um, which was a very multidisciplinary program. I went um, kind of to courses in sociology, politics, um, international studies and things like that. And I was really focused for a very long time on working in kind of international development, humanitarian aid sector, um, and that's actually how I came to the discipline of research as such. Um, so I started in programs, but um, kind of through a series of fortunate events, I suppose, um, ended up working um, for a think tank in London that was focusing on humanitarian policy research. So it was very kind of on the academic side, um, very focused on secondary research, some primary, but not as definitely not as much as um, you'd see in in user research setting. Um, and I was working on a project to understand how humanitarian organizations can be more flexible and adaptive. And we were looking outside of the uh, kind of traditional um, international sector, international politics realm um, to the private sector, among other things. And that's how um, I stumbled upon things like user-centered design, human-centered design. And that started developing my interest in um, design as a, I guess, as a problem-solving tool or as a problem-solving process and what, um, what role people have in it. Um, and so, yeah, we can go into detail as much as you want on this, but, um, long story short, I had to take kind of several pivots, um, before I felt comfortable and felt, um, really 
kind of in a place where I could say, okay, you know what, I'm actually going to leave this like nine, 10 year career that I've been building in the humanitarian sector and switch over to technology and really go all into um, user-centered design and focus on uh, user research um, in, in, at a tech startup where I work now. Um, yeah, I'll pause there. Do, I don't know if you have any follow-up. I, I think that's a pretty, I think that's a pretty great start. Um, it's, it's, uh, it's pretty neat to, to see how, you know, a lot of the time we think of research as being part of either academia or, or a part of building products, but research is a part of learning anything. So, of course, when it comes to building policy, uh, you know, politics, think tanks, all that is, is probably got a quite a bit of overlap as well. How about you, Aisha Ghoul? What was, what was the pre-research Aisha Ghoul up to, and how did you find that passion and interest for research? I think uh, very similar to Sofia, um, it was also a lot of trying out different things, I would say. Um, I studied uh, performance and film studies at university, which is um, quite a new interdisciplinary field that is not really known. And at the time, I actually had no clue about user research. But now looking back, I actually can see like a lot of um, points that I learned at university that I can use right now. But because it was also a field, um, a very interdisciplinary field that draw from humanities, social sciences and art theory. Uh, but for me, I did not really follow that path of being like a scholar because I realized like that life um, in the academia wasn't really for me. I was sort of missing a bit of um, connection with the real world and like that collaboration it was a lot of like being buried in the library so to say and I realized this is not a life for me so I kind of afterwards I needed a job and I was like I need more people around me so I got into production work which is actually very uncommon um, for user researchers because it doesn't have anything to do with user research it was a lot of organizational work and I was working for film productions, theater, festivals, etc. Um, but then that was also not the thing that I was looking for, really. Even though I had a lot of fun, it was very fast-paced and I needed a bit more like space to think and a bit more analytical work. So these were, like, I guess my pivots in the past wasn't about finding my way to user research, but really understanding what I want and what my strengths are and what my weaknesses are. And around that time of sort of soul searching, I guess, I came across um, some people that work in the tech industry and they opened this complete new field. And I started doing uh, research about what this field is. And that's when I realized, okay, this is something that could be interesting. And as you said, like, how did you find your passion for it? I wouldn't call it like, passion i guess in the beginning it was a lot of tiptoeing around the idea so i started like exploring this field getting um, to know some people that work in this field and that's how i started to take the first steps in saying okay i'm going to take a chance on this field that's 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 really interesting and um i don't think most people could draw a straight line from film and theater studies to industry tech UX research. Uh, that seems like that's a little bit less common than some of the other uh, academic backgrounds. 
Yes, indeed. And that was actually one of the challenges where I also had to explain to people what I actually studied and what's that, that at university that we didn't necessarily only talk about theater or film, that it was a lot of actually sociology work and a lot of ethnographic work. And this was definitely also one of the challenges where I could say, I know I can do this, but you don't know that I can do this. <laughs> <laughs> I think what you, I should go with... Oh, sorry. Go for it, Sophia. No, I was just going to say, I think what Ishigul is saying about soul searching that definitely resonates. Um, I've always approached, I guess, career pathfinding very playfully. And I've always tried to kind of like pick and choose and really, really try and kind of hone in on like what it is that makes me really engaged and invested and interested in my day-to-day -day work. And I think soul searching just captures that sentiment so well. Um, the way you put it, it's it, it's exactly that. It's kind of not being afraid to pick something up and kind of play with it and kind of almost like look at it a little bit, tinker with it and examine it from different, different sides and then decide whether you're keeping it or whether it's actually a stepping stone towards something else. What What were some of those signals for you, Sophia, that... This was this was the the space you wanted to be rather than a stepping stone. How did you know? Um, so and this actually goes um, to what Ishigul was saying earlier as well around this connection with um, with the real world, and I think that's what made it really difficult for me both in academic studies and then working uh, in policy research. I felt like I would put all this effort into a study, into research, but then it would just kind of, it would be a very pretty report, you know, like it's, it's all very well <laughs> presented and articulated, but then it doesn't go anywhere. Um, and it's when I set out to pivot properly and kind of do this, this grand kind of transition into, um, into the tech sector, I was really looking for a place that would allow me to both do like really in-depth discovery studies, um, because I think that's where kind of the, the, you know, the juicy interviews, like the understanding what makes people tick and like how people's minds works, that's where it happens. But also that would allow me to do more evaluative work that has really immediate impact on how design decisions are made, how uh, business decisions are made. And it kind of feeds into that more creative cycle immediately um, as opposed to kind of this longer thing that can just kind of stay there and collect dust potentially. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. So let's, let's pivot uh, a little bit here and um, let's move on to talking a bit about the, the process of landing that first job. And in particular, I want to focus on the the interview process. So I know both of you have done some interviews and coming in, I, my understanding from sort of my local research market community kind of thing, it feels sometimes like a lot of the people doing the interviewing, doing the hiring, don't always have the best idea or best understanding of what they're looking for in a researcher, but also... Uh, how to hire and support a new researcher, particularly one who's earlier in their career. And I wonder if that rings true for you, Aisha Ghoul. Um, when you think back to your, your interviewing experience with, uh, with the company you're at now, 
or with any companies that you interviewed before then, what was that, what was that like? Did it feel natural? Did it feel, um, did it feel like they were missing something or you were missing something? If you could expand on that a little bit. Well, so my perspective on this can be a bit different because um, I have to admit, I got the first um, job that I interviewed for, which is, I think, quite a rare thing that happens. And uh, one yeah, <laughs> but that kind of gives you the feeling that I never got rejected, but that's not the truth. It is just that I never got an interview was rather the case because, um, as you also mentioned, it's quite an unusual path. And when you are applying sort of without knowing anyone, your CVs just get eliminated, obviously, uh, because my CV had like absolutely nothing that said anything about this person has done user research or this person has done anything about design. So I guess for me, the first challenge was even getting an interview. How and many places did you apply to with your CV? Um, that's another topic. That was also, it was also not possible to apply everywhere because there aren't that many junior positions. Um, there aren't even that many mid-level user researcher positions, let alone junior, I would say. I think when um, even though there is like an amazing growth in the tech industry all around the world, I still believe that a lot of companies um, are still not that at that level of UX maturity where they have a dedicated research team. And from me as a person, of course, I knew that I could do some things, but I also knew that there is there are tons of things that I had to learn. So I needed a place where I could have other researchers that I could work alongside with, that I could learn from, that could offer me that space of failure and that space of learning. And that is unfortunately not the reality for a lot of companies, I think. So first of all, I wasn't even able to apply at that many places because there weren't many junior positions. And I was very specifically looking for that. Um, so I applied for some traineeships. Um, there also weren't that many. I, I think I applied around like 10, 15 places at the end, but this was really over a time period of a year because I was also working full-time at the same time. Um, and when it comes to the interview process, um, I mean, the way I got that interview was is also a story on its own, I guess. Um, one thing that is challenging is the question of experience because especially if the person in front of you is not a researcher that you're interviewing with, that person... Um, may not really necessarily know what the researcher requires and the only question that they may have at that moment is about experience because that is probably the only way to get to that proof and that was for me one of the challenging things where i had to sort of explain to them these are the things that i can do these are the things that i have never experienced and i can't do but i can learn and i think that convincing was for me the challenging part yeah. Does that ring true for you, Sophia, or did you have a different path into into your first role? Um, so one of the things that um, I should all mention does ring true, and it's that um, I did find a lot of recruiters not quite 
knowing how to match up what you they see on your CV with what the job requirements are. I had uh, many conversations with recruiters who were like, yes, um, your CV looks great. Here's this job for a startup where you would be the first UX researcher and you, you need to build a team. I'm like, this is very, um, I mean, it's, it, it, it's very flattering that you think that <laughs> <laughs> that I should be building teams, but um, I really don't think this is the place for me. And um, I was also very adamant that I wanted to be working on a team with other researchers where I could see that um, support and find that mentorship um, to really help me kind of transition the skills that I already had built up in a very, very diff- different environment, di- different context, and help me apply them to um to uh, creating and designing um uh, technology products but um on the on the experience side for me it wasn't as much about kind of demonstrating experience because i had i had solid research experience but because it was so different different for me it was the translation work that was really a challenge and it's kind of translating what I've done in the past, um, explaining, like, it, and when I say translating, translating it into a language that not just the recruiters, but kind of the, um, like, the, the senior UX researchers that, that then are interviewing you or, like, other people on the design team that are interviewing you would understand, and they would understand what that actually means in terms of what I can do um, and what I can't do um, when when and if I joined their team. So it took it took a lot of kind of trial and error, a lot of um, looking at other people's CVs and portfolios and kind of really trying to tune into how people position um, their qualities of research skills, for example, how they talk about that and how they uh, demonstrate proof. Um, and then of course, the when I was applying for jobs the big thing was like do we need a does a, does a user researcher need a portfolio right and that was that was a whole thing to kind of try and wrap my head around and some companies would be asking for a portfolio and then you're like well how do you want me to like visualize a process for you um and then some companies would not want a portfolio so just navigating all these new different things um was, was quite challenging and yeah it just took a lot of it was a very, very steep learning curve through that way. I really want to hone in on this point around translation, because I think this is fundamental to uh, folks ending up landing that research position, especially their first one, because naturally, you know, research is about discovering new knowledge. And in some ways, we all do this every day when we pick a restaurant to go to or when we try and figure out a gift for a friend for the holidays. And so I'd love to hear a bit about how, um, we'll start with you, Aisha Gould. How did you position your past experience as being relevant to research or translate those past experiences and skills that you've de- developed as being you know, fundamental to your success for research? Um, I think for me, one of the key things was really positioning myself as a junior researcher. So to say, sort of, first of all, understanding I'm not going to be, I'm not being hired as a senior researcher. So there will be a requirement for supervision. So that was something that I very openly like stated in all of my interviews, including also my CV and my cover letters, etc. 
So what my focus was around uh, when I was doing the interviews were exactly like Sophia said, sort of putting that focus on the analytical skills, the work that I had done at university, sort of, because it is very abstract and it is really hard to translate because I think one of the major assets of a user researcher is their critical mind, is their way of viewing things. And if you don't have um, solid proof of that, how do you explain that? So this was something where I think I was also very challenged, but this was something that I was trying to put focus on to. I was trying to explain certain the way I view things. And another thing that I also did was um, making up some sort of like scenarios because I also had studied a lot before doing the interviews. I read, uh, I read books, I took courses, so it wasn't that I went in there completely blank. So what I would do was I would also explain my thought processes. I tried to show them these are the questions that I would be asking in case we were in a situation like this, 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 let's say you're creating a product from scratch. This is how I would start. So I, I guess what I tried to do was instead of, because I did not have that solid evidence, I tried to put focus more on the process and my thinking process. What are the questions that I ask? The second part is the operational side. Uh, because I worked as a junior producer before, I had a very strong organizational side. Like I produced like things, I had to organize things. And I was like, I know that research is not just about doing research. There is also a lot of operational things to it. So the second thing that I also uh, started putting a bit more emphasis on is I can help you. You are a researcher. Um, and at the time, uh, the senior researcher that I was speaking to was the sole, the only senior researcher at the company. Um, I know that you need to recruit people. I know that you need to, I don't know, archive. I, need, I know that you need to organize budgets. And I can help you with that because I'm also bringing that kind of experience. So it was really trying to understand the requirements from the other side and showing how I can help with that, if that makes any sense. That makes a lot of sense. What about you, Sophia? How did you translate that past experience into something that was, uh, uh, I guess, edible for the hiring managers or whatever verb you want to use there? Yeah, um, it, very similar as well. Um, it, it was a lot about understanding requirements and it was a lot about kind of almost at the very start, just going through my CV and looking at my experience holistically and looking, okay, where did the process of, I did a piece of research and it resulted in certain decisions or it helped to uh, kind of inform a certain process within an organization. Where did those instances happen? Because that was almost like the, the building block of, okay, so that's the process of what essentially you would be doing in, in a design team, right? Um, so that was kind of step one, going through that and then trying to tease out as well from my past experiences, moments that um, maybe I didn't see as stakeholder management or maybe I didn't see before as kind of feeding into strategy or decision making and almost reframing them as such on paper and, and highlighting that, you know, 
kind of in this role, I um, I was doing stakeholder management and this is what it looked like. Um, or in this role, my um, research supported some strategic decisions um, because it's really, especially the kind of user research roles I was going for. And it, of course, if you're going for, I know maybe something um, more technical or something more evaluative, um, then that might not be the, the case. But the kind of roles I was interested in drawing um, uh, towards, they did entail kind of work at the higher strategic level. Um, so really going through, yeah, through my experience and trying again, almost like really meticulously going through and understanding how can I reframe this? How can I reframe this? And is this even relevant? Um, and that was another thing I had to kind of, come through and understand like which bits just didn't make sense to include which which things just did not really translate at all and kind of you know not including them on cvs because i feel like if it's too busy if you're trying to just prove that you know i can work (laughs) then it's a very different exercise to highlighting that i can do this particular kind of work and I can think like this and I can can think in a in a in an iterative way and I can work in an iterative way. Um, I think also to maybe to highlight I before I started applying to jobs in the tech industry, I had an opportunity for about a year and a half or so working at a consultancy, a very small consultancy, kind of at the intersection of humanitarian sector and um, kind of tech and innovation space. Um, And that kind of middle step was a really strategic decision on my part in terms of trying to gather the kind of evidence um, that I needed to then say, I can work in an agile environment. I can work in a team that has to feed research, uh, design research into design decisions um, and kind of really build up that foundation that would allow me to have those conversations with recruiters um, a, a year, a year and a half later. Um, so I think that's another way to go about it. If you really feel like there's there's just either your background is really kind of really way out there, or if you just feel like there's not quite enough meat in your experience to say, you know, I can do the work, then um, maybe it's not about pivoting hard right away. Maybe it's just about taking that middle step and kind of going from there. So it's one, one thing that's, that's really interesting there that both of you have um, independently used the framing of gathering evidence from, from your past that I can do this. And I think that's really uh, a really uh, intelligent and thoughtful way of looking at this of going through your past work and and maybe educational history and looking for little bits and pieces that demonstrate that you can do this job uh, whether and, and doing the reframing piece like you both have mentioned. But I think that that's really smart and that's exactly the kind of language that I think lends to uh, a researcher being successful around looking for evidence, synthesizing information together. So, you know, in, in a way you're kind of demonstrating that that you can do this by way of being able to position yourselves as being able to do it, which is interesting. Um, one if one I final thing. Uh, Actually, go ahead, Aishagul. Yeah, I just wanted to mention one thing about what Sofia said as reframing, and I think that's really key. And um, one thing that we um, that I think that's important is that before going to those interviews, before even applying, before even writing those cover letters, that's 
there is a time that we think about exactly those when we're even trying to understand whether this is a field that we want to be in or not. And that time of find, figuring out if we can do this or not actually happens way before interviewing for those roles. So when we get into those roles, for me, I had done so much thinking and so much learning and speaking to the people from the community that I actually went out there and tried to look exactly for those evidences. So it didn't come just like me thinking, what have I done at university? It was really a piece of work where I had to speak to people. I talked to people. I um, took some workshops and then I found like, ah, this is something that's familiar. Ah, this is something that's familiar and this is not. So I think there is like a big prep work that goes into it before getting into um, even the application phase. I think that's brilliant. Sophia, do you have any parting advice uh, for aspiring researchers or, or junior researchers looking to grow um, to help them uh, get to where you are? Um, I think try to kind of suck up as much information as you can. Definitely to the to Aishagul's point there, um, I read so much, everything from like any book I can find, medium articles, podcasts. That was a huge one, like really looking out for podcasts specifically, not just on kind of user-centered design, but specifically seeking out podcasts about user research and trying to understand, okay, how, like what are they talking about? How does this relate to what I understand how to do and how can I frame it in the right way, in the way that these people are discussing it? Um, events, in-person events helped a lot. Um, I know in COVID times, that's, um, that's really hard to accomplish, but um, back way back before COVID, it, it helped, again, talking to people who were looking out for user researchers, understanding what they're trying to, 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 to find in people. Um, and um, yeah, and actually workshops. Um, I remember taking, I think, general assembly courses, like really like not the extensive ones that ask you to like give up half a year of your life, but even like the weekend ones or the evening afternoon ones, um, I found those really helpful as well. So just try to, if this is really something that you're interested in, try to find out as much as you can. And I mean, if you are interested in user research, you're probably naturally inclined to be very curious and be very inquisitive um, about things like that. Any parting thoughts, Aishigul? Um Yeah, I think something that I really want to mention and that played a huge role for me uh, to get a job in this field and even be a part of this field was the community and i think uh, especially if you're a starting researcher um, good news the ux research community is an extremely open and welcoming community that i have never experienced such a thing so uh, one of the things that i had done when i was even starting out uh, to sort of tiptoe around the fields was i had written um sort of like very basic messages and connected with people through LinkedIn. And this is how it started for me that one of the amazing researchers sort of invited me over a coffee and I spoke to her. And I think that is um, finding that courage to reach out to people um, is I think one important thing because you can read all that you want, but I think you would learn the most from talking to people that have been in there. 
Um, so, and the second thing is, I would say, trusting yourself that knowing uh, what you have done before is going to have a benefit just because you don't have the exact very typical experience that does not mean that you cannot do this job it is really uh, as we have spoken before as Sophia also mentioned it's really about finding um, those things finding those strengths that you have and uh, looking at them from another perspective and reframing them for this field and then you will realize that there is a lot that you can do already. So I guess a bit trusting yourself and getting out there, talking to people, trust me, the community will support you. I love that. And I, and I couldn't agree more. Um, Aisha Ghul, Sophia, thank you so much for joining me for this lovely conversation. I'm sure you're going to inspire a lot of uh, researchers to take the right steps to get that first gig and solidify themselves as a full-time junior UXR. Thanks again for joining, and I will talk to you soon. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. This has been really lovely. Yeah. Thanks again to Sophia and Aishagul for joining us for this week's episode of the UXR podcast. Don't forget, if you haven't already, head over to uxrconference.com to check out our full lineup of speakers and talks for this year's UXR Conf Anywhere program. It only costs 99 bucks to attend, and if you can't afford that, just shoot us a message and let us know what price you could afford to pay. We want this to be the most financially accessible research conference ever. We'd love to have you there. Thanks again for listening, and I'll see you at the next episode.